2: <laughs> welcome to the zone zone a father-daughter podcast about the twilight zone i am father toby aiken
1: i am mave uh i was gonna like do the intro to um, my brother my brother and me <laughs> yes let's start ripping off other podcasts right? we like that's um, a great idea <laughs> no uh i'm Maeve, and i'm also here uh
2: <laughs> excellent Today we are, uh, we've just watched season one, episode two. Wait, sorry,
1: Dad, I have a uh, little bit. Okay. Yeah,
2: okay, yeah.
1: Today I watched an episode of The Twilight Zone about a lonely man who's extremely slow on the uptake and is gonna go to the heavens. But enough about episode one, season one of The Twilight Zone. We're talking about episode... <laughs>
2: That was pretty good. Thank All you. Right. So yeah, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 2, One for the Angels, directed by Robert Parrish, written as well by Rod Serling, starring Ed Wynn and Murray Hamilton.
1: That was such a good cast.
2: Yeah. For a second episode for a no-nothing TV show um, that obviously ran for a long time, but who knew that in the second episode? They got two heavy hitters, uh, two, two that guys, right? <laughs> so Edwin, uh, you probably would recognize if you're a human being who's been on the planet for the last 50 years. I saw him and immediately thought of Mary Poppins,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, Uncle Albert. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Did I get I the name love off? to laugh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, but I also, then, of course, I Wikipedia'd him, and I'm like,
1: oh, yeah, he, oh, yeah, he was that. I did. Yeah. I met a man with a with a broken leg named Smith.
2: Oh really? What's the name of his other leg?
1: Hippopotamus.
2: Oh god. No, no, that would be <laughs> joke. Um, no, it's Ed- like
1: an added layer to the joke, you know. <laughs> <Right>.
2: <laughs> it's like
1: jokeception. <laughs> I'm cooking up over here. <laughs> okay.
2: You also know Ed Witf as a mad hatter in Alice in Wonderland and a whole bunch of stuff. In this episode, he is playing Lou Bookman, a pitch man with like which I guess is a thing.
1: Guy uh, Guyman should be his name. Man man man
2: Man 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 on the street. He has a, a funky suitcase that expands and contracts and can sit up on the street and he sells all kinds of doodads, robots and ties and He was what. so
1: mad at like Julie Andrews for having her like endless bag that he was like, I wanna do that too. And then I'm gonna give everyone Calamine lotion <laughs>
2: So here he is on the sidewalk, trying to uh, get things sold, and Rod Serling's got the great uh, voiceover.
1: Uh, I also want to point out that we open on the most useless toy of all time, (laughs) which is why, uh, which is um, what what Edwin is selling, pitching. Pardon me, got to use the lingo. Um, It's kind of like a a robot Mm -hmm. alien that winds up and has like a big eye on its forehead. Yeah. Uh, my nickname for it was E.T. Eckelberg.
2: <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, yes. Uh, great Gatsby reference. All Seeing Eye. Two episodes with All Seeing Eye. I know, right? This right away. Uh, if you are an old like me, you recognize this robot in various... Like He's the classic sci-fi robot. I believe basically the Lost in Space, the original Lost in Space robot was this guy. Um, forbidden Planet was that horrible uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space? If they had a robot, it was probably in there. Uh, you know the robot we're talking about. I really don't. Yeah, apparently he's, <laughs> he's lost time with this young generation. Rod Serling is uh, describing this poor Lou Bookman. One part of his, I had to write this down, he says, he's a, a fixture on the summer. A nondescript, commonplace little man whose life is a treadmill (laughs) built out of sidewalks. I wrote that down too!
1: I found that, Uh, that's like the most inefficient (laughs) building decision.
2: This this guy is a sad, sad little man, uh, but he's being checked out today by a dude in a black suit who I could only think of as Stranger Danger. (laughs) Right, He's sitting there taking notes on Lou Bookman and, uh, and Edwin Lou Bookman is looking over his shoulder like, who is this guy? Um,
1: I wrote down disgruntled Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> okay, so you can take your pick. Stranger Danger or disgruntled
2: Jordan-Levitt. Uh, Rod Serling, uh, the, the camera close-ups on this man uh, and Rod Serling says... Best
1: music cue, sorry.
2: <laughs> He'll be stalked by... Mr. Death.
1: Dun-dun! <laughs>
2: and Mr. Death, as we come to know him, then looks directly at the camera. Blistering.
1: He's, he's looking smoldering. at me! <laughs>
2: it's, it's killing so me. Foreboding p- piano chords, bum-bum, boom, boom, and fade to commercial. Yeah. What did you think of the beginning of this episode, Maeve?
1: Um, I don't know. I like that they talked about calamine lotion a lot, because, like, love <sighs> can't use just any lotion to <laughs> callum your minds, you know? <laughs> I don't have a lot of thoughts.
0: <laughs>
2: Apparently. I don't have many thoughts beyond that. I thought it was cute. It was a nice intro, actually, yeah. like a classic Twilight Zone intro. I liked totally. it better than the first one we saw last week. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, this one was really set it up and set up the stakes, Mr. Death. Totally. Bum, bum, bum. It was
1: super jaunty, and then it was yeah. like a nice little juxtaposition. And, like, I love the... Like in anything else, it would feel really cheesy, um, and it still is cheesy here. But I really love the music cues. I'm I like, think
2: you have to love the cheese if you're going to love Twilight Zone. It's yeah. gonna, it's gonna get cheesier before yeah. it gets less cheesy. So we go into Act Two, and we establish right off the bat that Lou Bookman uh, is loved by all the kids, all the street, all the kids in the street, except he apparently only loves two of them. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> okay. So first, he starts throwing candy into the street. Well, well, the like, pack of mad dog children are behind him, which I can't believe Mr. Death was when you wrote down Stranger Danger. <laughs> I enough. feel like him tossing j- uh, candy to the wind might have been a bit more of an alert. I, I don't really
2: want this episode to go there because yes. I do believe it's being innocent, but yes, no, there do. are creepy vibes from all adults around kids in this episode. Yep. That looking at it, the 2018 eye, um, I, I, can, I can only be creeped out and feel Stranger Danger. I think in 1950s, this is yeah. yeah. W- this is innocent, is what so I'm saying. So one of the kids
1: goes, um, what are you selling, Lou? And he goes, I'll show you what I was selling, except for he doesn't say it in that voice. And then he takes out E.T. Eckelberg and he gives one to Maggie and one to Ricky. Yep. And then he's done.
2: Then there's like five other kids sitting on the stoop. There are
1: five dejected five ki- Dejected kids. And uh, so everyone, anyway, like thanks him and says bye, Lou. Except there's one. Raven haired young boy in a striped top sitting on the stairs just stares down and sulks. That boy's name was Morrissey, (laughs) (laughs) and thus,
2: one of the greatest rock bands of all time was born.
1: One of the greatest. Twilight Zone twists also <laughs> most people don't know this insider information but the real twist in this episode <laughs> was the origin is
2: story that we have Rod Serling to thank for Bona drag all right uh, so uh, Lou uh, goes up to his apartment and starts toodling around do to do goes into the kitchen turns towards the living room and oh there's a guy sitting in the middle of my apartment <laughs> I'm a little surprised, <laughs> but not overly concerned. <laughs> hey, you're the guy I saw on the sidewalk, really. Who walks into their apartment, <laughs> closes the door, turns around, sees some randos sitting in a chair, and doesn't freak out and call 911?
1: To make it worse, then the man just starts listening facts about him. It's like, you're Louis J. Bookman. And I, in my head, I was like, oh, that's almost LBJ. But it's LJB. And I was like, his initials almost could be something. Just like the man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is what happens when we have too much literature education for our young.
1: <laughs> um, oh.
2: All right. Yeah. More. Then he talks like, about him.
1: He's like, uh, would you like a collar stay? Because everyone who turns up into your apartment unannounced. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hankering for a collar stay.
2: Random guy sitting in my apartment. <laughs> I am, first of all, almost completely nonplussed, as if this happens, on average, two or three times a week. Again, don't call the police. What's my first reaction? Hey, maybe this guy's a customer. Maybe he'd like a tie or a robot.
1: Or better yet, a collar stay. (laughs) Those collars were never going to stay in place without those collar stays, you see.
2: So here he is, and... um... Oh, Maggie shows up, right? So we, we, yeah. we've established that so, this guy is weird and he knows a lot about yeah. Lou. And he's like, Who are and you? Like, What's we going on? We pretty much
1: know that it's death. Like, he's made it pretty clear. Well, um, and, and
2: Rod Serling told us at the beginning of the precisely. episode. But Lou Bookman has not quite figured it out. He knows something weird's the going thing,
1: on. Like, it's easy to make fun of Lou Bookman. I kind of want to make fun of Death because he says, <laughs> We have to keep these things efficient. And yet, like, he comes in here and just states knowledge that he already knows. Yeah. Like,. I always kind of pegged Death for being one of those, like, load up the paddy wagon kind of guys, you know?
2: Yeah. This is going to come up later, but I will say Death, it seems to me Death could have handled this a lot more efficiently. But before we get it's there. Like his
1: first day on the job. It felt kind of bad for the guy. <laughs>
2: yeah. He's really not doing a great job. He's not making a good impression. Uh, Maggie, the little girl with the robot, shows up and shows that she just doesn't understand mechanical things. Silly little lass. Silly little lass. She just can't get that robot to work. Um, and... He winds it up for her and says there you go and says oh say say goodbye to the nice man don't you see the nice man over and over again and she's like what what man i don't see it. of course the camera pans from her point of view and there's no one there and uh, i can't see him and then finally he says oh it's a game you're silly it's the invisible man game and i'm thinking what a game
1: <laughs> and then um and then with this exact cadence she goes it works great now, Lou. Thanks an awful lot. See you after supper. Huh? <laughs> I got Quality. some great child actors on this episode. Quality child also, stars. They mentioned the Lou Bookman After Summer Club a couple times. I know we're not going there, but that
2: sounds awful he's, shady. He's got a he's got a club for the kids. He's throwing candy around. I get it. It's it's stranger danger all over the place. Uh, Nevertheless, she leaves, and it's only then that Lou finally realizes uh, that, oh, there is something wrong with you. And Mr. Death says, exposition point, only those who are to accompany me can see me. Except he doesn't say it quite that dramatically. He says it in his 1950s mid-Atlantic voice. Um, Mr. Death, throughout this entire scene, is so tired of explaining things to humans. Did you get that? Like, he just has this intense annoyance with his job. I felt, he seemed like some mid-level bureaucrat who has been ground down by the system.
1: <laughs> I got a really good place vibe.
2: Oh, like the the show, the good, like. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. From
2: like a, oh, not Ted Danson, but who's the guy uh, in charge of well, Ted Danson? Well, any of
1: the, I don't want to spoil the good place, but.
2: Ah, uh, yeah. Well, we, I think we could, I don't think we're going to spoil the good place to say that there's a guy in charge of Ted Danson. Yeah. Played by one of those that guys. In fact, uh, that He's guy who's a great in Marvel, that... Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and all that. He Am is right? like
1: top tier that guy. That guy,
2: yeah.
1: Uh, Mark, Mark Evan Jackson.
2: Okay, you got it. I'll believe you. <laughs> <laughs> um, he... I was getting the same vibe from him that I'm getting from Mr. Death, right? Yeah. Just like, I'm doing my job, I'm ugh, this thing's crushing me, but let's get this over with. You would think that Death could really smooth this all out if he just got to the point. I mean, presumably yeah. he's done this a few hundred million times. Like, say to the guy, I'm Death, you're dying, it's happening at 12 o'clock, let's go. But he never comes out and just says it. And this guy is just like, oh, what's dying? Departure? <laughs> that sounds
1: ominous i i
2: I feel you there because he is clueless you really have to hit him over the head i mean like yeah
1: are there any twilight zone episodes that don't star dumb people
2: i i think the main character has to be kind of dumb (laughs) (laughs) that's just how it's gonna happen they can't be smarter than the audience and then they
1: talk about this very odd dichotomy of precognition and not precognition which is essentially if you're gonna die a really horrible death, then you don't get to know about
2: it. just boom, you're gone.
1: And if you're gonna die a nice death, you get to know about it. I, that doesn't feel like the right way around.
2: <laughs> okay. If you're trying to prevent death, I see your point. I thought it was kinda nice. Hey, you're gonna die in your sleep. Yeah. I'll give you a few hours to get your affairs in order and to like make everything transition. That's so sweet. Consider it. Yeah. Lou
1: Bookman is like a he's such a tool. <laughs>
2: Dude, you know, it's going to happen.
1: Also, like, there's an afterlife, so...
2: Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, nevertheless, uh, Lou, uh, that's a good segue, because Lou wants to get out of this. Number um,
1: one, I find you a very devious sort.
2: <laughs> he does. Uh, when he finally figures out that this guy's death, he sort of looks for, is there any way I can get out of it? And Mr. Death starts coming up with the oddest set <laughs> of reasons why you might get to cheat death. I mean, I was like, expecting him to say, well, you could play a game of chess, you know, you could do like some real deep, you know, I don't know, uh, seventh seal kind of stuff. Nope. Apparently the first group that gets a waiver is a, uh, a heteronormative couple <laughs> And if your spouse is really gonna miss you, or if you got kids who are really gonna miss you, we can give you a few extra years. It really
1: got me curious about like the barometers that I use for these things. Yeah. Um.
2: It's like, nope, your wife doesn't love you enough. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm yanking you. Um, uh, so yeah, so you uh, obviously, and Lou Bookman, uh, I, 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 it seems as though he's never had a significant other. Doesn't have any kids uh so he's, he's right out for that he character. talks
1: about um unfinished business of a major nature and i was really glad that this i watched this episode because finally i know why uma thurman like doesn't die by being shot 10 times and kill bill
2: <laughs> <laughs> and Deb was just like she had unfinished she had business.
1: pretty major nature i would say yep. it's up there in the major category i agree
2: i mean i think this makes a little more sense however i do want to point something out uh he said, and again, you know, 1950s Twilight Zone, he says <laughs> men I did who are that. about to do some great thing get a waiver, some great scientific achievement. And I think this might be uh, where we introduce the Beck doll test. Uh, what do you Ooh. think? Sexism or no, Maeve?
1: Yeah, obviously. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think, like, man as a default um, is obviously doesn't recognize gender as a spectrum and that women are, like, mm-hmm. capable of walking and, you know, and not just, like, leaning on furniture. Um, but, like, I don't know, I, I took more offense that, like, Maggie, like, the, I don't, I don't know how to, <laughs> I don't know how the robot works. Oh,
2: my goodness. I don't know how this toy robot oh, works. Oh,
1: god, Gee, there's a key. And I turned it one way, and it didn't work. Oh, what should bother. I do?
2: <laughs> You're right. Um. Maybe that was the beginning of the Bechdel test. If yeah, you what is
1: it with all of these Bechdel cases are, like, involving, like, women and inanimate objects so mm. far? That's
2: a good point. I don't know. If you don't know what the Bechdel test is, then you haven't listened to episode one of our podcast, where <laughs> we establish... Uh, our, our, our barometer for sexism in the Twilight Zone. Can you handle this level of sexism here? Was it okay or a little too offensive or?
0: Um,
1: I mean, I, 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 like, I didn't stop watching the episode and I know, like, we're going to keep seeing this. Um, like, obviously, like, it's a little twang of, like, come on, Rod Serling. Um, I'm going to rattle through, I have a few notes here. One, um, Death, like, when he, he gets really mad at, um... Uh, Edwin for being like the most dense man I've come up against which is surprising um and s- he just kind of like starts staring out of the window and leaning yeah I thought top marks for the angst there that was he great. was really
2: angsty you're right um
1: Edwin's wrinkles are my favorite character in this episode um oh and then I liked it when Edwin was like I'm a very healthy man. There's no reason for me to go. And it's like, is there a reason for you to stay? Like, <laughs>
2: Oof, that's cold, babe.
1: And then, and then he shows death his paper cut, and he's like, "I'm so healthy." And I was like, "I want to show death all my paper cuts. I—that's my unfinished business of a major nature." And then, let's say, um, I have, I'm leaving, leaving. On a midnight train to heaven or maybe to nothing if that's what you believe. Toot, toot. That's the notes I have. That's all the notes you have? <laughs> yep.
2: We wanted to make sure to get all those out there. I
1: thought that it was important that you would hear all of that. Um.
2: So, uh, anyway, back to the story. <laughs> uh, Lou is casting around for pitches. He, he comes up with some stupid thing about wanting to fly in a helicopter and death doesn't buy it. A um, little bit of... Uh, Oh, this uh, is my favorite part of I, I, Yeah. So, uh, sorry. The, the, if That didn't make sense. The third way you could not, you I could cheat death is if you have unfinished business, um, that loophole. And he kind of says off the cuff, well, I've, I always wanted to see a Zulu war dance from that, quote, Zulu country. <laughs> <Jesus> <laughs> like, this is the most absurd thing you could do. But, but hey, again, 1950s, I suppose. <laughs> Um,
1: Because unfinished business is is something a man has yearned for and something that he might accomplish given an extension. Just like my English homework. Am I right, fellas? (laughs) (laughs) Lou's
2: unfinished English homework, uh, he finally lights down on is and gets sincere about is the big pitch
1: dude he becomes a miss universe he does competition. he he's like I degrees. do degrees for the children <laughs> you know
2: he goes from jokester funster prankster to i have never wanted anything more than the big pitch <laughs> that the pitch where the skies open up he says a pitch for the angels referencing the title to the episode
1: and then he shows that he has learned one major lesson uh, from the kids who he loves hanging out with and that lesson is the greatest way to get what you want is to look down at the floor with your mouth on a little line and then start sulking
2: <laughs> oh death has feelings uh now i'm gonna i'm gonna throw a curveball at you here let's go they uh, they set it up that death is feeling sorry for the guy and he's like okay i'll give him a chance here's my theory watch it again and see if i'm right or not I think death not gonna knows watch this again. you're not gonna watch this again. <laughs> All right, replay it in your mind, film place. Uh, I think death actually planned this out from the beginning, or from this moment on. He knows how it's gonna play out. He's gonna—he knows every step he's gonna take. He knows every step Lou's gonna take, and he knows he's gonna get Lou in the end. So he lets this draw out. That's Ooh. my theory. Death huh?
1: has so much free time on his
2: hands. I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, he he can't take him till midnight, so he gets to play around a bit, I guess.
1: I like that Lou doesn't even try to hide his ulterior motives. No, so he strikes the deal. He's like, "I'm going to do the pitch for the Angels," and then um, he's like, "Well, the deal's set by Death," and Death goes at the door, and he's like, "I tricked you." Like it was like, remember when um when uh the president uh did uh that that like tax reform bill, and then like was quoted at Mar-a-Lago, like, saying to a bunch of millionaires, like, oh, you don't know how much money this is going to make you, you know? Like, it was very...
2: He cheated everyone and then laughed about it in in public. Yeah, it was honest about it. Yeah, it's exactly what Lou Bookman's like. He's like, I'm not going to, I'm never going to make a pitch again. I'm throwing my suitcase away. (laughs) Um, Death shows that he has the power to appear at every angle possible on the book, on the the staircase as lou bookman's running down the staircase such
1: a leaner like (laughs) is death like the cover of like a mid-aught solo record from like a former boy band member you know
2: he is so emo which i mean we all knew i guess like
1: he's like uh, agent smith emo though
2: he is agent smith emo that's perfect yes
1: and then like there's a vaguely like vaudeville stair sequence and then lou bookman goes FYI, that means for your information, which negates the entire purpose yeah. of an acronym. Yeah. Does, it's like the most self-righteously someone has ever
2: used it is. the but phrase I, FYI. And this is the moment where I feel like the tone of the episode massively shifts up to now it's been pretty jaunty jaunty music except when you see death you get those piano chords like also there
1: was a nice little touch every single time throughout the entire episode when death appears there's a shadow that crosses
2: shadow crosses over you get the big music chord uh but death basically says to lou and we kind of all saw this coming uh well since i can't take you i gotta take someone
1: uh, i mean it's a daisy right away like,
2: rod certainly doesn't even give us a moment you hear the tires yeah. screech uh, thump and we hear the scream of a little girl and of course
1: silly little lass
2: oh, maggie is laid out on the on the street a crowd of like 20 or 30 people around nobody running to call an ambulance.
1: She just doesn't have parents question
2: mark. <laughs> yeah. No parents in this episode. I don't know. It's all these all these orphan children living in this apartment building by themselves. It's like a sitcom or something. I don't know. It yeah, doesn't... I want that episode.
1: <laughs> the E.T. Eckleberg comes alive. Uh, and then and then my favorite music cue in this episode happens. Maggie is like she she's been hit by the car, not bleeding, whatever. And Lou comes up to her and they're on the ground. And then she looks over to the side and she says, Lou, who's that man?
2: Dun, dun, dun. That
1: was was pretty baller. And then Edwin's face journey is like my second favorite character. He turns around.
2: He looks up at death. You can see him. Uh, And now we know because plot, she can see death. Therefore, she's marked for death. And that is fade to commercial.
1: Death is so self-satisfied. Like, yeah. my man just needed a, a win, you know? <laughs> like, not an Edwin. He needed a win.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is sitting pretty. Uh, we get to act three, and actually, though, it's... Oh, it's, wait, before yeah, sorry. in the
1: commercial break, oh. um, I don't know why I did this, but I was, you know, the spirit moved me. Well, the devil's spirit. <laughs> Uh, and here, after the commercial break, I wrote down a pantheon of Grim Reapers.
2: Okay. All like, right. Like my favorites. Bring so, it on.
1: Okay. Number one is Death from Neil Gaiman's Sandman comics.
2: Gotcha. Agreed. Yep.
1: Number two is Death in Adventure Time. I was just, I was kind of partial to it. He's like.
2: Is that the one with the cow skull?
1: No, that's the lich. Death oh. is just kind of like a chill, like rocker guy. He and Peppermint Butler are buds.
2: I don't know death and adventure time, I guess. Sorry. <laughs> and then
1: three um, is the book Thief. Okay. I thought, you know, solid, like, omniscient, whatever, narratorial use of death. Four is, like, actual Hades. Then the Greek I,
2: mythology action? Yeah. Percy Jackson? Or...
1: Like, actual Hades. I don't okay. know. He All should, right. like, get a spot. Okay. Um Four, I put in... I mean, sorry, five, I put in this guy. Thought he was pretty solid. And then that comes in right above... Um, the Grim Reaper from *The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy*, which was a show that was on like Cartoon Network when I was a kid. Okay. And it freaked me out. It was so weird.
2: <laughs> oh, are they dead, or are their parents dead, or? I
1: can't remember. It and was death is weird. their friend, or yeah. something. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I. That is one of the many low points of a, as a parent that I let you watch shows like that at that age. That really should not have happened. Well,
1: I didn't like. Well, because also it was on near Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, which was one of my favorite shows. Yeah, no. I thought that was a pretty great show, and so like I would kind of have to trudge through the Bill and Mandy, so that I could get to Foster's. Sorry, okay, that was my weird right, so, on Act three. We'll probably one, not make it to the final.
2: This one rolls pretty fast. Yeah. Um, actually, even though it's probably ten minutes, but it doesn't really need a lot of explaining. Mm-hmm. Um, although I will say there, uh, it it. it kind of jumps to nighttime, Uh, and Maggie is in her bed in her house, which, as you pointed out, doesn't seem to have parents. Uh, Just a lot of lookers-on hanging out. (laughs) The doctor's treating her for a serious car crash. She's sitting in a bed, and this is in the middle of a city, right? I'm thinking, okay.
1: And then he says, she's
2: a very sick little girl. Is that your serious diagnosis, doctor? It's
1: like I've never seen Scarlet Fever do this to a girl's body. I'm like, come
2: on! What could possibly have gone wrong with her? Um, um, but okay, I guess they just didn't want to spring for a hospital set.
1: And then Edwin like embodies the thinking emoji. Um,
2: All I need to do is stop death. He thinks I just need to stop him. It's fifteen minutes to midnight. If he can. Yeah get there and and just to be sure when death does come by they rehash this whole thing and and Lou's like so if you don't go into the room at, at midnight to get her what happens <laughs> oh boy that would be terrible says mr death the whole time space continuum would fall apart uh so not surprisingly lou starts to set up a pitch
1: um yeah and he he starts like pitching the ties I high key thought he was gonna tie death to the banister with a tie. Just,
2: Haha! You thought you were gonna buy this tie.
1: Because <laughs> maybe it just hadn't sunk in from before that death can just appear anywhere. Um, I don't know if that was that was the that was depth it. of my respect. I think, for the character. Uh,
2: you know how? Here's the question: How do you portray a great pitch like this is supposed to be, mm-hmm. given that he is selling crap? and yeah. i think the answer is sweaty montage
1: oh so much sweat so
2: much sweat so much montage yep we don't yep, yep. get a full coherent pitch we just get Mm-mm. lots of little bits and this and that's and a lot of sweat especially from mr Death. he's like getting worked I over i
1: wrote that down too because like because he he wears a lot of hair grease like he's trying very hard this man and, like, there was a certain point where he had more sweat on his face than he had hair grease, yeah, And no. that's when it started to feel excessive. Not a good look.
2: Not a good look for emo death. It didn't, <sighs> didn't work well. Uh, does Jeff have money?
1: I wrote that down, too.
2: Credit cards. Checks. Jeff is like,
1: I'll take them all. <laughs>
2: what, is, what does this mean? <laughs> I will take a,
1: a black crystal of <laughs> unspeakable properties. Zardoz. <laughs> Maybe that's why they cut they cut to Mackie's face, is they didn't want to show, like death's currency because it wouldn't be like okay for mortal eyes all right um
2: and then at the very end once he's sold everything to death because of course death laps it all up he does a a rather odd turn where he sells himself i guess
1: um yeah after the marvelous plastic shoelaces he sells his soul to the devil and the devil like is too high standards for him (laughs) Uh, but my favorite part of it. Oh, sorry, I gotta find the exact.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, first he calls it the piece de resistance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh yeah. Okay. He says something that's never been offered in this country before. And I was like, I think that human lives for sale.
0: <laughs>
2: Yeah. this country you're right. There's, there's a, a little bit of a, a misremembering of about 300 years or 400 years of history right there. Yeah. Um, I don't
1: know. I want to buy Edwin. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Edwin's cute. Um, uh, not surprisingly, the clock's chime. He kept death away.
1: Uh, and in my head, because it was so yeah. montage the first time I was watching it, in my head, it, he was doing like an hour-long pitch. On rewatch, I realized, turns out, 15 minutes. That's about right. Pitch for the Angels, 15 minutes. <laughs> That's about all you need. <laughs>
2: um, did he know he was making a pitch for the Angels? You know, is was that his plan? It uh, was I, a
1: cute little smile. kind of, It
2: kind of seems so. I think in some ways, it's almost, I said earlier, I think Death maybe knew how this was playing out. The way they kind of smile at each other at the end, like, first so death cute. is he feigns being angry. Oh, I didn't get that girl. But then they kind of give each other a little smirk and a this and a that. And, I ship it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was a cute little ship at the end. And um. It was like maybe they were just going through a pantomime the whole time. Like, each one knew. Uh, he's doing this. Okay, I'll let him do this. It was, it was
1: cute. Cute. <laughs> it was um, cute. And the doctor comes back, and and then it, this was, it was so cute. I'm sorry. The ending, it was like Edwin. If you're gonna like center an episode of television around a face, like you can do worse than Edwin. Yeah. No, he he just, he's. It's lovely. It was
2: very cute. He gets that smile, that sort of half jowly smile. Picks up his suitcase yeah. and says, "Okay, I guess it's time to go." Up there? <laughs> with a question mark?
1: I have no pithy remarks. It was nice. Although, so first he like walks down with death and then he's like, wait, I forgot something. And he comes back to get his suitcase. I still kind of thought he was just going to make a run for
2: it. <laughs> He's going to take off down the street. Yep. Yeah. <laughs>
1: They'll well, never catch me now. <laughs> he comes back. Not today. Psych. Uh- <laughs> he comes
2: back, says to Mr. Death, up there, kind of pointing up and Mr. Death says yes up there lou oh then they walk off together under the lamplight i feel
1: like the way that he tried to avoid evade death might have it kind of should have knocked a few points off of his
0: <laughs> going back
1: to the good place so if we're talking about like it must be pretty easy to get into heaven is all i'm saying
2: well let's hope so let's hope so
1: and then they walk down the street and the twist is that it turns out death was just like a the random guy who like likes to trick people, and they just walked for a while. And then Death was like, "All right, we're here." <laughs> <laughs> and like stole ga- all his money. And it's like gaslighting. Motion.
2: <laughs> gaslighting Edwin the whole time.
1: No, instead they walk down the street, and at one point their hands come very close together. They
2: do not really.
1: Well, it looks like it. <laughs> all right. And then like Death starts walking up ahead. <laughs> it was kind of sad. Um, okay. <laughs> also, yeah, like if. There is an afterlife. There is a heaven. What was the whole kerfuffle about? I get it if there's, like, no afterlife. You don't really want to die. If you're just walking down the street with, like, a, a like, disgruntled, like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It's not It's not too bad. A,
2: That's true. But, you know, people don't kerfuffle. always see things that clearly. Besides, there wouldn't be much of a plot if he just went along with it. Yeah. And then. And then?
1: Brad Serling says. Might seem unlikely to you, or like it couldn't happen, but it did happen <laughs> in the Twilight Zone. Bum,
2: bum, bum. So what do you think, Maeve? Did you like the episode?
1: It was, it was cute.
2: Yeah, yeah. I thought it was cute. I liked it.
1: Yeah. I Feel like I had less jokes this time. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I was actually talking about the episode of Twilight Zone. <laughs> I
1: know. No, it was. Yeah. I liked it. Did you like it?
2: Yeah, yeah. I thought it had uh, it, no great twists and turns. Mm-mm. Again, you can see a lot of the stuff coming from a mile away, but mm-hmm. performances outstanding. Yeah. Uh, in their own weird way, totally yeah. outstanding. I would absolutely, wholeheartedly recommend this one. Yeah, Just, me too. Most of it is Edwin talking with I should get the other guy's name, Murray uh, Hamilton. Murray Hamilton. Back and forth, and and they have a good rapport. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, um, I I mean, I've talked a lot about Edwin because I'm a fan of that man. Mm -hmm. Probably learned that he did something horrible tomorrow. Um, Probably should have Googled that before (laughs) praising him so much.
0: Fair enough.
2: Disclaimers.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, I also really wanted to shout out Murray Hamilton. Like, we've been making fun of, like, the emo death, whatever. But he's, he just, I liked what you said about him just being like a, he's a, you know, begrudged, ground-down office worker. (laughs) Okay, so I'm curious about what you think about this mythos. Um, like, is he the only death?
2: Ah, uh, I you know this is the thing. I uh-huh. don't think Twilight Zone. I'm gonna answer this two ways. I don't think Twilight Zone gets into uh, these types of big deal questions. <laughs> oh really? Right? You
1: don't think I should nitpick Twilight Zone? <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, it's not that. It's not that. It's that. You know, sci-fi. When Twilight Zone came out, sci-fi, as my understanding of it, was still very niche and very Mm -hmm. young. You got Mm -hmm. those, you know, big deal Jules Verne, obviously been around for half a century and all that kind of stuff, but as a genre that people took seriously, well, it just wasn't. Uh, And indeed, I I might argue that there are many people who came to take science fiction seriously because of this TV show. They -hmm. were not going to get into those big questions. If you wrote this episode nowadays, 2018, you would have to explain it, and you'd probably explain it with some kind of like, I have multiple Mm -hmm. versions of me, and we're all the same. We're one big Borg, but we're in different places, and blah, blah, blah. I don't think these episodes are ever going to go there.
1: And truth be told, I kind of liked the simplicity. I thought it was tight.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I don't need to know all that stuff, actually. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. All right. Great job.
1: (laughs) Uh, Do we have stuff to say at the end?
2: I think Cass is going to give us the outro.
1: Oof. See you next time on. The zone, zone, trademarked. Not really. This is very low production value. Also, uh, I've stood up the microphone on the Chicago style manual <laughs> I've got Chicago style.
2: We gotta end it now. <laughs>
0: but I don't wanna.
2: So Cass, what did you think of the podcast?
0: Well. Wow. <laughs> um, uh I now know that my sister just loves death. She loves a lot of those different Grim Reapers type people. And um well I agree that the well, I think that the Adventure Time one is the best rip of Adventure Time with that show. And I have never seen the Cartoon Network show, and now I sort sure of want to see it, but apparently Dad knows not to now, so. No,
2: you're not allowed. Sorry. <laughs> I made that mistake once. I'm not making it again.
0: Yeah, and I also... I didn't know it was such a foster's home for him, or what... A, wait, what is it
2: called? Imaginary Pets?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Friends. Friends, imaginary, that's... It. Imaginary Pets... <laughs> Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud, and don't be afraid to give us a review on iTunes. You can follow our Twitter at ZoneZonePod and like our Facebook page also at ZoneZonePod. You can write in feedback to our email address, thezonezonepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.